You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. Today I'm chatting with my new friend Katie and it's one of those conversations that just clicked. Katie is an author and a speaker to over 30 colleges across the country, helping 20-somethings with everything from personal finances to battling your inner mean girl and honestly just dropping some serious truth bombs for your 20s in her podcast, Truth For Your 20s. We talk a lot about finding and accepting the redirection from rejections in your life, be they from boys or bosses, to really hone in on the voice of God in your everyday life, nudging you to your right path. So stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And without further ado, welcome Katie. Hi, I'm excited to be here. I'm so happy you're here. Kick us off. Tell everyone all about you because I feel like you do all the things and have all the ambitions and it's incredible. So tell us who you are and what you do. Yes. As we mentioned, Erica, we are both Enneagram threes. So we do all the things, but yes, I am a wife and mom. I am the mom of two girls, which makes me very passionate about our next generation of young women. I am paid to speak to sororities. So I travel and or Zoom in today's (laughs) world to different sororities and really nationwide. I've gone as far out as Arizona, Texas, the Southeast, up to New Jersey, lots of different schools with a message um, about, I call it the world changing power. And it's based on the book that I wrote because I have a marketing background and kind of had a a front row seat to see the power of influence sorority women have when it comes to brands. And I have all kinds of crazy stories of this unheard of brand that sorority girls started that think that they liked it. And then it just exploded in popularity and millions of dollars changed hands. And I'm like, wow, if they have that power over trends, imagine what else they can do. So I encourage young women really sorority or not, but just to use that power for good and to realize their power when it comes to dating. I'm very passionate about young girls making healthy decisions when it comes to dating. I really don't think I can underplay that because if you make a good, if you you know marry the right person, then there's statistics that show about how that makes an economic impact. It definitely makes a emotional impact. And there's so much that goes into making a wise dating decision that 18, 19 year olds are not even thinking about that will set them up for healthy decisions in the future. So yeah, I talk a lot about dating. I travel to schools. I wrote a book and I have a podcast called Truth for Your 20s. I have several college students call me their cool aunt. So I'm just going to go with that. I'm not your mom. I was about to say you're literally like the cool aunt that everybody needed back in the day that would have saved so many bad decisions from happening for so many people. (laughs) That's the goal. That's the goal. I'm like, I'm not your mama. I'm not your 19 year old friend. If you want to call me cool, even better, but I'll just be your aunt. (laughs) I try and help you navigate all the stuff I learned the hard way. I love it. I know so much of what you share and speak about too is centered obviously around sororities and the idea of sisterhood and really like getting more from Greek life than hangovers and heartbreak. And I can't fully empathize because I was not in a sorority myself, but I had a lot of girlfriends who were. 
And I mean, like I said, it was like everybody needed you back then. So why sororities? Like what got you into that? And why, why was that so important to you? I needed me back then. So that's part of it. But honestly, this is a hundred percent a path that I did not see coming. I, I didn't even go through sorority recruitment. So even when I was 18, I did not plan to be a sorority girl. I got a snap bid, which is a lot of even sorority girls don't even know what that is because it's not very common. But essentially, if for some reason the sorority is low on quota or there's different circumstances, but some girls will know someone and they recommend to the sorority, hey, we should give offer this girl a snap bid. All I knew is there were some 80 pie girls in my history class and then they show up at my apartment door with balloons and they're singing songs and they have these Greek letters on their chest and they're chanting blah, 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 blah. And I was like, what just happened? And I told them no. (laughs) But of course, um, it worked out. I have who would essentially or eventually become my big sister convinced me that I should go forward with this whole thing. So I became a sorority girl but live the typical heartbroken and hungover sorority life, you know, just really live through the whole thing. Nothing exciting to speak of. Graduated and never intended to look back. Didn't care to look back. Had my fun for my four years. That was good. You know, check that box. But it really was a whole God thing because I, you know, got married, um, had my girls just living my life. And I just knew that there was like this holy hunger, so to speak, or this internal itch that I was doing all the things, you know, my Enneagram three, I'm like, I'm doing, I'm a mentor. I'm serving in the church. I'm doing the nursery. I have a clean house. I'm working in my marketing job. I'm doing on the outside what looks to be a good thing. And I have a total meltdown in our closet one day. I mean, I hope I'm not the only one who has had a total meltdown in your walk-in closet. Oh, been there, done that. (laughs) Happened last week. I feel you. (laughs) It was a good one, you know, and I'm like throwing a sweater on the ground. I'm like, God, why are, is this so hard? Like, can't you see how hard I'm working? Like, what what am I missing? You know, all, all of the whining that you can imagine was happening in this whole closet meltdown. And that is when I have never been more sure. I've heard the voice of God. And he said, first of all, <laughs> when did I ask you to do all the things you're keeping yourself busy doing? Mm. You know, I kind of think it's like, when did I ever ask you to do all of this stuff? Go share your story with sorority women. That is what I have designed you to do. Wow. I I just got goosebumps. And it was like, at the time, I didn't even know anyone who was in sorority at the time. Like I, I, this was years later. I was like, what do I do? Go knock on the mansion and be like, hi, God told me to share my story. (laughs) You got a minute, (laughs) you know? But in his gentle and kind and wanting us to get where he wants us to go even more than we do way, he opened all the doors. So throughout this little time period, I had become a yoga instructor. And I think it was like the very next Sunday at church, this young 80 pie girl comes up to me and says, hey, aren't you an 80 pie? I mean, aren't you a yoga instructor? Would you come do a class for our, for our chapter? And I'm like, what? <laughs> how did you know? <laughs> so I'm like, yes, I can. So I went and did this little yoga class and who happens to be there, but the president who is a former gymnast and can do all the cool yoga moves. 
and is asking me where I normally teach. And so she starts coming to my class regularly at the gym. And finally, I tell her one day, so I kind of have this passion for sorority women, I like to share with them my story. You know, if, it, if you're available, like very self-conscious about it, maybe a small group, whatever. And she's like, sure, next Sunday, you can come speak at the end of our chapter, 225 girls, the, the floor is yours. Oh <laughs> my goodness. And had no idea what I was doing, not even sure what I said, but had one of the girls come up to me afterwards and said, you need to be a motivational speaker. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but that was the beginning of what I'm doing now. Wait, that is incredible in so many ways. I Can you elaborate on what this felt like and looked like tangibly? Because I feel like a lot of people, I have had similar sorts of experiences here and there, but I feel like a lot of people when they hear, I heard the voice of God and then I just did it and now I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do and I am in it. People will roll their eyes and be like, all right, but like, how do you know it was God? How, what did that look like? What did that feel like? And how did you know at the end that it was truly right? And that you were like really living in God's purpose for you? Can you like, Tell us like what that actually, did you feel a certain feeling? Did you like have certain validation along the way of like, yep, you're, this is right. This is right. Like what made you actually keep going on that and know that like, this is definitely what God is calling me to do. You know, I've shared this story a million times and I don't know that anyone has asked that, but I love that because there, there is a lot to it and it isn't, you know, retrospect years later to tell that concise story, but there is so much you know, to unpack that. So in that moment in the closet, I did not hear an audible voice, but, you know, I hear people talking about how they heard the voice of God and I've heard different stories. And I don't know that there is a one size fits all, but for me, it was just this, you know, I'm, I'm whining about how quote good I am and all the hard work I'm doing. And it was kind of like this just impression, I guess, or just this feeling. It was kind of like, you came up with all of that, Katie, like no one asked you to do all of these things and volunteer and have 12 jobs and like work yourself ragged. Like no one asked you to do any of that. And then it was just kind of like this, um, my husband and I actually not that long ago before that conversation, it was new year's. We were talking about new year's resolutions. And I said, one of my passions is talk to college girls. And he kind of looked at me dumbfounded and was like, well, what in your life even shows that? And it's true because at the time I had, there was nothing, I wasn't doing a small group, but there was nothing in my life that showed that. And I'm like, well, he isn't wrong. And so, you know, that and coupled with this holy hunger of, I know that there's something more to what I'm doing. And for years at this point, my husband was a youth pastor. So I had done a lot of mentoring with high school students and with college students and they were all the church girls. And listen, I love the church girls and I want our daughters to grow up being the church girls, but I was not a church girl. I was dancing on the table, you know, <laughs> going to the frat parties. And that was that holy hunger, so to speak, when God was like, you're talking to the church girls. I need you to talk to who you, I'm gonna cry, <laughs> who you used to be. I need you to go talk to the sorority girls. And I was like, okay, you're right. And but from that moment on, it wasn't like this, you know, walking forward with a torch in front of you, like here I am to save the day. It was fear and it was second guessing and it was who am I? And it was looking at people who were already talking to sorority women who already had books out and like, well, they're doing it better. And, um, you know, I'm older now and I'm not 20 years old anymore. They're not going to listen to me. All of the voices in your head that tell you you're not enough. And 
through through several different confirmations, but one of them is so I start mentoring some sorority girls from that uh, yoga that turned into <laughs> meeting some girls and started doing. We just called it coffee with Katie, and I would have girls at a coffee shop and we would meet and have coffee, and then that grew into having a Bible study or something at a girl's apartment, and it grew to like fifty girls, and it was this fun thing. But through that, getting to know some of the college girls, they loved Stephanie May Wilson. You should follow her on Instagram. She's great. So I reached out to her to book her to come speak to our school. And so I looked at her as someone who was further ahead of me of doing all the things I wanted to do. And so I kind of mentioned, you know, what you're doing is great. I would love to share my voice to sorority girls at some point too. And she's like, well, why don't you, your voice matters too. And I'm like, that was, that was a validation as well, because she was someone kind of almost in my space. You could even say competition, but she was like, you are going to come out at a different angle. You're, you know, what you have to offer is so valuable. So those to kind of answer your question, some different ways that um, just affirmed that this path is where I'm supposed to be. And then with me not knowing what the heck I'm doing, I've spoken to over 50 schools um, nationwide. So they, they keep booking me and I keep speaking and it keeps going well. So, so here I am. <laughs> That's incredible. And would you say that you have felt peace as these things keep happening? That's more of like that godly sense of peace where you're just like, you have like a confirmation in your soul of just kind of like, I know that this is like what God wanted me to do. Like, does that feel different than for you than what might have been more of like a self-serving sort of decision in the past you know like I, yeah. I don't know if that really makes sense as a question but like does it feel different at all for you when you are doing something that you know was like god wanted me to do this versus i was serving myself with this yes 100 percent. and i even see a lot of women who are still kind of like oh i wonder what my passion is and I don't have any questions about that. I have never been more sure that I'm where I'm supposed to be. Now, you know, I don't know that for a lifetime, I don't know when I'm 80, if I'm going to be speaking to sorority women, I'll be Betty White though. I'm here for that. I don't know, <laughs> but I, I've never been more sure right now. And I think that also, you know, we want to see the whole forest when we want to go on a hike, we want to see where we're going. We want to see everything, but walking with God is like, you're in the pitch black and you have a flashlight and I know the next few steps and that's all I see. And that's all I am privileged to see. And that's all I need to see because I am just a human with a small mind who is <laughs> my goodness. If I could see the whole forest, I probably wouldn't be able to handle it anyway. So I just see that next few steps and I'm just walking, walking forward in those. And that's all I really know. And that's, that's all I need to know. That's such a perfect analogy. I literally just wrote that down because I'm like, ooh, that's a good, that's a good nugget. Walking with God. We want the forest, but walking with God is walking in the dark with the flashlight, taking one step at a time. That's yeah. that's really good. I want to ask snaps. I love that. Yeah, snaps. Snaps for that one. <laughs> um, I'm really curious your thoughts, whether it is in friendship, whether it's in a romantic relationship. Talk to us about how you find your fit in a person, you know, like you just talked about finding your fit in what you're doing for your livelihood or your calling, but how do you know if something is right, if it's more from that relationship two-way street kind of standpoint, especially nowadays when like the entire scene of how to meet people and make friends and find community is so totally different <laughs> than yeah. what it was even just a year ago. How, what does that look like? Yes, I mean, my first thought is just, 
mutually beneficial because a lot of times in relationships we think well what can I get out of it or what's in it for me when especially when it comes into a long-term relationship you know and that's for friendships as well it's not like what what can I get out of it it's how can I serve like what how can I um we best outserve each other is really, you know, imagine all marriages if they sought to outserve each other. Like there would not be nearly as many problems instead of, you know, asking what's in it for me. So I did an interview a while back with Shasta Nelson, who was an expert on friendships, and she has some really interesting insight. But I remember two of the things she talked about that are very important when it comes to this could be dating or friendships is consistency and commitment. So those are two of the biggest things. So a lot of times we find friendships just because we're in that same circle. Like I have biology class with them every Thursday or um, I see the, them at the gym for the class every Tuesday. And so that that's a consistency. And when we actually moved five hours away from where I started everything I'm doing now, I had real problems with that because I'm like, my friends aren't here for me anymore and I'm alone and I don't have any friends in my new city yet. And I felt very, um, I don't know, betrayed in a way, but really I had a lot of service level friendships and I didn't realize it. I had a lot of consistency friendships. We saw each other on a regular basis, but now I'm five hours away and they're still nice people. And I'm sure if I saw them regularly, they would you know, be just as nice, but we didn't have that commitment to growing that friendship outside of the convenience. So when it comes to long distance relationships, when it comes to anything, um, even a marriage, living in the same house and not having regular date nights is not going to be a good situation. You have to consistently and committedly, <laughs> consistently have that commitment. And I think that that will grow any relationship for the better. That is so good. And they work hand in hand, which people forget, because if you're committed, you will be consistent or you will be make yourself consistent. And if you are consistent, you have to commit to that. So it like they, they play off of each other so beautifully. And I love that you mentioned convenience too, because so many surface level anything end up just being something out of convenience. And then I think that's why it becomes difficult and falls apart if and when it no longer is convenient. And you see who was truly committed and versus who was just there because it was easy. So... Yeah as hard as that might be and as sucky as that is in the moment to realize, like if you maybe you were on the receiving end of someone's convenience, it sucks, but it also opens you up for people who are just as committed as you are to being committed and being consistent and showing up for each other mutually. And I love, I love what you said that it should be a mission to outserve each other because one of my one of my best friends and I were talking about this recently how we've both experienced circles of friendships where girls would say like make an announcement to the group and it was like okay well I'm leaving the group because this no longer serves me and I'm I'm in this period of self development and growth and whatever and you guys don't serve me anymore so I'm out and it's we live in a society now where like it's kind of touted and heralded that like you do you, make sure things are serving you. If it doesn't bring you joy, throw it out with the rest of the stuff you're Marie Kondoing. But it that mindset totally fails to consider the fact that relationships are two-way streets and that if you are showing up to serve each other, the idea is that you will both be, you'll both be served. So I, I get to an extent, if something is totally not serving you at all, 
definitely normal and healthy to take a step back and at least consider what the heck is going on. But it's also equally important to look at yourself in the mirror and say, all right, this isn't serving me anymore, but what am I putting into it? Because if I'm not putting into anything into it, it's not fair or right for me to expect to be getting something out of it. A hundred percent. I mean, I think that that, like you said, our society would, would applaud that. Oh, good for you for saying that. But did you take a look in the mirror? Did you ask yourself, what are you putting into this? C.S. Lewis has a book called The Great Divorce, and it has nothing to do with divorce, but he is describing hell as a place where everyone gets everything they want. And if you think about it for a few minutes, you know, say I want to live in this giant mansion and to never cook any meals and have everyone wait on me and have my garden perfectly tinted. Cool. But so does my gardener. And so does my chef. And so does my maid want, want all of the same things. And so at some point you're going to have conflict where versus um, our model, Jesus, who came and was born in a stinky manger to a bunch of no named people to wash dirty feet and die a death that he didn't deserve. You know, think about, I'm going to lay myself down for the people I care about. I am not out for me. And like you said, there are times when you need to walk away from unhealthy situations. And Jesus would say that too, but just the, the vast difference in that. And I think that there's somewhere in the middle where it needs to be a little bit less about us. Mm-hmm. Totally. From a romantic standpoint too, I love, love, love how real and raw your advice and thoughts are around dating, especially since you talk about that so much like in the in the dating phase of things that throws us all back a little bit. Um, because man, I said so much of the same stuff to my own girlfriends, like in high school and college, just people struggled with the frogs before the princes, let me tell you. <laughs> So what were some of your biggest personal realizations that you came to, especially after your first year of marriage? Because obviously we're both married now. And then once you've been through the dating scene and then have also experienced marriage and now also coach and mentor women who are back in the dating scene, like what what were some of the, the heavier hitter realizations that you learned that you would pass along to girls now who are still dating or maybe engaged or just wanting that in their lives where you're like, listen, sister, let me, let me tell you some truth. (laughs) Okay. So this is a quote from Andy Stanley, but he says, become who you're looking for is looking for. So I'll break that down. So I would have told you when I was like, like 18, like, Oh, I just want this good hearted, you know, Christian boy who's responsible with money and handsome. And, um, I don't know, he's rich and does all the, does all the things I had in like my own list. Right. Meanwhile, I am, you know, hooking up with frat boys and trying to do Bacardi shots and dressing (laughs) not good and doing a lot of things that you know, if I say I wanted this and this is valuable to me, then I need to become who I'm looking for is looking for. And that blows 19 year olds brains because they're like, oh, I'm just quote having fun. And this whole having fun thing, like I'm not telling you, you need to think about marriage on your first date. And yes, there is some having fun when it comes to dating and stuff like that. But what I see more often than not is people quote having fun and then feelings getting involved, months, if not years, getting involved, history, memories. If there's physical intimacy, that's a whole nother beast to to tie you together and bind you together. And then this quote, just having fun, 
is going to be a really, really messy breakup. Or I have people that friends of mine that married, they're just having fun. <laughs> and 17 years later are looking back, trying to explain to their kids why daddy doesn't come to church with us or explain to their kids why, you know, money is so tight or whatever it may be, because these things that they said were important to them, they did not act with that same intention. So, you know, another quote is that action steps eat good intentions for breakfast. Just, you know, mm. like I could say, I want to run a marathon, cool, but I need to put on my running shoes and start running. So if you say that these things matter to you, then what steps are you taking to become who you're looking for is looking for. That is so good. And I also want to bookmark that because there's such a misconception that you have this like phase that you have to get out of, get out of your system before you get married or settle down because it almost implies that like marriage isn't fun or that like you're going to miss out on something once you do get married. And I get that some people might have that mentality or like struggle with making decisions. And obviously it's a big decision, but like, man, I feel bad for those people because marriage is really darn fun. If you marry the right person, <laughs> like if you're marrying your best friend, uh, dude, like my husband and I have dance parties in our kitchen all the time. Like we have so much fun all the time, but it's because you like, we didn't rush into something and we were very intentional through our dating process. And now I feel like we can both confidently feel good about it because we were, because all of that took place and we still have fun now because we got married on, I guess like deeper, I don't want to say like deeper principles of what having fun is. It wasn't like having fun, meaning taking shots in a yeah. frat house, for example. It was like a more sustainable form of fun that was truer to, I would say, who we are as people rather than who we were at a time. Like more based on like, I don't, yeah, just like what fun so, is on a deeper level for, for that. Yeah, and the, the I'm just having fun means I'm not taking this relationship serious. I don't right. care if they look at porn and smoke pot and cuss at their mama. Like I'm going to ignore all of these huge red flags because we're quote, just having fun. Yeah. Now, but then of course, yes, having fun with someone is important. It's just when we negate all of the terrible things that you don't want in a relationship that you don't value because you're quote, just having fun. That's when we need to talk. Yeah. It's like shift your mind so that you realize you can have both. Like you can have fun and still be proud of the person that you're dating and like want to take them home to meet your parents and like not feel afraid of commitment or not, you know, like you can, you can find both. It doesn't have to be your just having fun, but then accepting a whole bunch of things that like really you shouldn't be accepting at the end yeah. of the day. <laughs> yeah. And that's um, a male led mindset. And there's a lot of science behind that actually, because I've got recently become colleagues with a doctor of science of a doctor of sexual health. And he has a lot of evidence about how men bond with the hormone called vasopressin and that grows, that attachment grows actually the longer you date. So vasopressin receptors have to form and those form by dating, getting to know each other, courting as the old school would say it, just, you know, um, having fun, all of those things make the men more bonded and make them like more, this is my girl, this is my eventually fiance or wife. But women bond with oxytocin and there's a lot to unpack there, but they bond quicker and they're gonna be more attached and the guy's gonna take longer. And that's especially true when it comes to sexual encounters because if that happens too quickly, there was no bond for the guy. And so that, so the guy's gonna be like, 
you know, that was fun, peace out. But when there is more of a bond grown over dating, grown over getting to know each other, those vasoprene receptors have formed, there's more of a bond in the woman through oxytocin. So yeah, I have a lot to say about all that good stuff. <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> it's super complicated. But um, that's also really fascinating because I had never heard of that vasopressin, vasoprosin. Vasopressin, yeah. It's actually only been discovered in the last six years, which is wow. interesting. While our hookup culture is raging. There's yeah, it makes so much sense though. Yeah, totally. Wow, yeah. that's crazy. Well, I know that something that you and I also both believe in our cores is that looking back on our lives, we can see that every time we were being rejected from something that we thought was good at the time, we were actually being redirected to something better, which I know can be really hard to believe and trust and see in the moment, but oftentimes ends up being true <laughs> and 2020 in hindsight. So especially, I mean, we just talked friendship, boys, all of that <laughs> stuff. What advice can you give listeners on better grappling with those feelings of rejection in the moment, whether it is from a guy or maybe a job or a friend so that the comeback is stronger and faster and we don't necessarily have as much time wallowing in the, oh, woe is me, I've been rejected, life sucks, whatever kind of to pick yourself up by the bootstraps faster to kind of move on, see it for what it is and be redirected in a better, more positive way. You ask the best questions. I am here for this <laughs> conversation. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, um, really the catalyst to what I talk about in my book is the breakup that broke me. And I know a lot of girls have had those and I probably, the tears I cried over that breakup, you know, I was sure he was going to be the one I was going to marry. I was sure we were going to live in the suburbs with 2.5 kids and with a ticket fence around our house. And when that didn't work out, like I did not have a plan B. Like I did not have a alternate reality that I had created because my future was tied up with him around it and there, there was no plan B. So I felt like with that breakup, it was a tornado circling around me and I was powerless to move. However, looking back, oh my word, you know, I think it's so interesting now just to think about how, how we really are like children. And I could just imagine in that moment, God, like, oh, it's okay. There's something better. There's something better, you know, because now I look at my kids and the ultimate meltdowns over the trivialist of things, or I can't have a spend the night party with so-and-so because you're going to have a party with three of your friends next weekend or whatever it may be. We were in tears and coming apart at the seams over some things, but there is always a better ending and there's something better for you. So I think it's just trusting the process and trusting that those failures, breakups, losses, or whatever are just preparing you. And one of my first jobs when I was in advertising, and this was related to sales, but it stuck with me because it's such a true, just quote for life. He says, every time you get a no, get excited because that means you're closer to your next yes. Mm. So I, like, I just love that. And that's so true with so many things in life that to not get so you know undone over a no or a rejection, because it's just statistically proven, that just means you're closer to your next success. 
So yeah, I love, I, I mean, I wouldn't say I love rejection. Nobody does, but it, it builds you and failure builds you. There's a lot of evidence that shows that that, that, you know, failure is what we learn from. So mm-hmm. um, don't get excited about failure, but get excited about failure because it yeah. helps you learn. I love that. And it makes me think of, have you ever seen the, there's a, I don't know if it's like a graph. It's just an image that somebody, somebody drew somewhere. And I saw it circling Instagram one day and I was like, oh man, that's good. And it's a picture of Jesus kneeling down in front of a little girl. And he was, I guess like her small teddy bear was being taken away and she was crying. And and the caption said, but I really want it. And he was behind his back. He's holding a big teddy bear. And he was like, but I have something better. That's good. And it was just like such a powerful image that was like, that we all could relate to or this little, you could just empathize with this little girl and she's like, no, but I really want it. And like, feels like her terror, most sacred teddy bear is being taken away. And God's like, ha 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 ha. Oh, what you do not know, child. (laughs) I think we all have one of those stories, how we have just come apart over something that we thought was the best thing ever, only to realize had that have worked out, I would not truly have what the best thing ever for me was. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah. it's, it's crazy. I know it's crazy. good stuff. Good stuff. Cool. Well, Katie, thank you so much for joining me on Thrive. I want to close out by asking you a question that I ask all guests who come on the Thrive podcast, and that is, what does Thrive mean to you, and how do you strive to thrive in your own everyday life? Oh my gosh! Again, you asked the best questions. <laughs> I think it is to leave a legacy. And by that, I just mean, you know, our lives are, are very temporary. And I look at, I'm very fascinated and I wasn't when I was in school, but I'm fascinated now in history and the people whose shoulders we are resting on, who built our country, who built the internet, who built all of the things that make our everyday lives um, the way they are today. And I think that that happens with looking, have forward thinking, first of all, and not just getting so caught up in what will people think of me, it's how do I impact others for the greater good and leaving a legacy. No pressure or anything, <laughs> no. but leave a legacy, y'all. <laughs> leave a legacy with who you love and those you influence. Love that. Yeah. So where can people find you online to connect with you more? Yes, I am katiebulmer.life. Like, uh, my last name is like Fulmer with a B. So katiebulmer.life and I made it easy. That's my TikTok, my Instagram, my, all the things. Those are my two favorite socials, but I have pretty much all of them. Just katiebulmer.life. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You're so fun. <laughs> Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.